So, you want to launch a business. First question to ask yourself, are you sure you're ready? Current statistics estimate that a hefty chunk of startups are destined to fail in their first year. And while there's no reason to assume your venture will crash and burn, it's smart to do a lot of research and soul-searching before you rush in. I'm Hallie Gray, founder and marketing manager of Evolve and Succeed, co-hosting with Mike Rogaway, business writer at The Oregonian. Today on Biz 503, we're asking the big question of the startup scene, how do you build a successful business? And joining us now to share their expert opinions on this question, we have Luna Jaffe, financial planner at Lunaria Financial and owner of Sacred Money Studios. Hi there. Great to be here. We have Sean Harry, business advisor and instructor at Portland Community College's Small Business Development Center. Hi. Great to be here. And we have Adam Shearer, principal and creative director at WLCR. Good afternoon. Excellent. Well, hey, uh, as we get started, I ask first Luna and Sean, tell us a little bit about what each of you do, just so we have a starting point on your role in the business community. So I own two businesses. Uh, Lunaria Financial is a financial planning and investment management firm in uh, Multnomah Village. And a year ago, I decided to open up a retail space that's called Sacred Money Studios and Prosperity Pie Shop. And that business is focused on financial education for all people, as well as uh, a cafe and community space that will make uh, pie makes everything better. So since pie fixes everything, we figure that'll be a nice lure into learning about money. <laughs> Excellent. And Sean, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm with the Small Business Development Center. I work out of uh, Portland Community College's Small Business Development Center. And I also teach a class down at the uh, Clackamas Community College Small Business Development Center. We do two things. Uh, we help small business owners um, uh, grow their business or start a business, and uh, we provide training. So we provide classes. Then we also provide one-on-one -on -one advising. So people come to us, anyone who walks in off the street, we provide advising. And we also teach them how to build a business around the thing that they love to do. Outstanding. And I want to start by throwing a question out just generally. You know, who should start a business? Is there a type of person or a time of life when it's right? Well, I think everybody should start a business. <laughs> and uh, the time is right when you're ready and when the business needs to be started. Don't do it if you think that you know, you're just going to make money immediately right off the bat. You're going to make a million dollars. Plan ahead. I really think starting a business is something that everybody can do and should do. Luna? I actually uh, don't think it's something that everybody can do and should do because it's a reality where you have to wear a lot of hats. You have to deal with a lot of unpredictability. Your income is very erratic and that's not for everybody. And so one of the things I've learned in coaching people is that there's some things where your passion is sometimes better left as a hobby because if you turn it into a business, you tend to take the joy out of it and you don't end up getting paid what you think you're, uh, what it's really worth until you become equally passionate about the sides of that business, which require administration and marketing and accounting and finance. And there's so much to it. And some people just want to be a jeweler or a painter, they don't want all that piece. So there's definitely times and capacities that business ownership takes. I always suggest to people that they think about all those things. Does that inspire them? So to take that another step, let's get to the real basics here. What do you see as defining like a business versus being a hobby versus being like an awesome freelancing job? How do you define it? And when you're coming from two different perspectives, which is so important, let's just drill it down a little bit simpler so everybody knows that, oh, wait, wait, I don't want to do that. I want to do this. Yeah. So like, for example, Airbnb is a business. A lot of people don't even think that that's a business, but it is a business. You're actually renting your house. That's a business. That's a very small, low-key, pretty easy business to manage for, for a lot of people. You're just renting space you already have. You don't have to put capital into it usually. But if you want to go about starting a storefront or a ice cream shop, you've got to deal with capital. You've got to deal with employees. You've got to deal with so many pieces. 
So there's a very different experience when you're a, a solopreneur, a single person operating and doing your thing, your passionate thing versus, oh, I'm going to take this thing and make it bigger. And those are the distinctions you need to be clear about. Usually people want to start small and then build and see what that feels like and do they enjoy it. Is it giving them energy or is it, you know, sucking the lifeblood out of you? And if that's the case, then sometimes you got to say, maybe I'd rather have a job. <laughs> Basically to try it out, to try see if it's it, worth yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And what do you think about it, Sean? Because that line can be drawn in so many different places and it's so important to figure out which way you want to go forward. Yeah, well, we get a lot of people who come into the SBDC who think they want to start a business and then they take our business design series class. The basic, you know, four weeks, how do you start a business? What are the things that you need to know in order to get your business up and running? And I can't tell you how many times I get an email from somebody who says, uh, thank you so much. You saved me $17,000 because, not, you know, I was going to go start this business and I really shouldn't be doing it as a business. I should keep it as a hobby, Right. And so we also get people who come in and they want to start a startup, like a tech startup, which we don't deal a lot with that. We deal with people who have a passion for what they do. And their business tends to be a small business that is an extension of who they are in the world. And uh, there's a difference between that, too. So you have to get really clear as to what is your goal for this business? What do you want to accomplish from it? Do you want the business to help you live a certain lifestyle? Or do you want to start a business and make a lot of money by selling it? Or do you want to just keep doing that thing as a hobby? That's so true. Sean, how do you go about evaluating which of those things it is, what your opportunity is? Well, I, I don't evaluate it for my clients. I let them evaluate it. But we lay it out all out there. Like Luna says, you have to pay attention to the marketing. You have to pay attention to the financing. You have to pay attention to whether or not you're going to hire employees. And so what we do is we basically give them... Uh, this this list of questions that if you want to start a business, you need to answer these questions. I've written up a list of 21 and a half questions that you have to answer if you want to start a business. And when they stop here for a sec, what's the half question? <laughs> well, the half question is after the 21 questions, <laughs> then you actually write your mission statement. What is this business about? Got what it. is this business Got it. And So now when you've done those 21 and a half, what was the next step? Well, and then just by the process of going through that and answering those questions, a lot of people come to the point of realizing, oh, wait a minute, I don't want to start a business. <laughs> this is not for me. There are too many things because people come to us and they know how to do the thing, right? They know how to make the thing. They know how to provide the service. They know how to sell the thing, but they don't know how to build a business around it. And that's the challenge because you're not only doing the thing, right? Making the pie, serving the pie, cleaning the toilets, all of that, right? Yeah. But then uh, you're also keeping the books and marketing and doing all of these other things as well. So can we talk a little bit about that? Because I feel like your realistic expectations when it comes into starting a business and both of you have so much experience with financials, which I feel like is one of the biggest things that makes and breaks business, right? You need to make money to have a business. Absolutely. Um, can we talk maybe, Luna, a little bit about what you see in terms of like realistic ex expectations about, hey, this is what you're going to go into when you're going into a business. You're going to have multiple hats. Like, here's the money factor. This is how much you're probably going to make your first year so that we can just get people on the right track. Yeah, the how much you're going to make is so variable depending on what you're doing and how much overhead you have. The thing that I see most significant is that People don't um, sit down and really figure out what is an actual budget for this process? What can I expect to be making? What's my worst case scenario, best case scenario? And there's always unexpected expenses. There are so many unexpected expenses you can't even imagine, especially in a retail space or a space that has more employees than you think or more anything else where you're every time you uh, multiply the number of people that you're touching, the more complications there are and 
fees from the city. And I mean, I just, for example, just got this lovely little notice from Multnomah County saying, you know, everything that you own in this business is a personal property tax. There's a tax on it. Uh, My ovens, my refrigerators, my chairs, my tables, my computers, everything. And I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. And I've owned a business here for seven years. So there's things like that, that there's nobody that says when you start a business that, oh, here's all the things that you're going to need to know. You just kind of keep finding them out as you go. And it's pretty harrying, hurry, whatever the word is. It's hard. That's why I really say that if you go to a business program like SBDC or PSU has a great program, uh, Mercy Corps has a great program, and you do that homework first yeah, and look at, do I like this? Does this inspire me? Am I going, wow, this sounds like fun? Or am I going, holy crap, that just sounds really exhausting. That's a good indication of whether you're going to be really able to navigate this process well or not. Fair so, let's invite Adam Shearer in with us now. Adam, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, I'm the creative director and founder of Wineland Creative, doing business as WLCR.io. And we are a full stack digital agency and we build minimum viable products and innovation um, sales channels for businesses who are making their first dollar to their first million to their first billion. We work with everybody from people who just started to Fortune 100 companies. Excellent. Excellent. And talk to me a little bit about your experience. How long have you had the business and what do you think? it takes to get started. I can tell you that the first time I found out the difference between hobby and business was when I was audited by the IRS in 2006. Ah. And that's when I learned what the difference was um, (laughs) by filing two businesses that were both things I was passionate about on one Schedule C. And that triggered an audit, which triggered a meeting with the CPA where we had a meeting and I said, listen, I've got no money. There's no money coming, but it's very important that I'm wealthy. What should I do? (laughs) And he said, create buckets. And so I've spent the last... 11 years of my life turning everything I'm passionate about into an LLC. And I've had many. And if I need something, I figure out how to do it and I buy and sell it to myself. And I've been able to build myself up that way. I really think that the difference between someone who can run a successful business and someone who cannot is drive and the ability to fool yourself into thinking that you will have a positive outcome no matter what you're doing. (laughs) Um, Amen. (laughs) It's really, really hard work. And it's important that you're passionate about something, whether that is the thing that you're doing or making, or if you're passionate about sales, that is also a driver that can turn you into a successful business person. Yeah, really, the best metaphor I have for you is it's very much like parenting. You usually don't have a clue what you're getting into. It does help if you have some preparation that you know you are going to be changing diapers and dealing with a a baby that's constantly hungry. (laughs) And you don't know what kind of personality you're going to get. But when you know that going in, the more you prepare yourself, the better parent you'll be. But still, many of us go into parenthood without knowing that and then go, oh, my God, I wish somebody told me this. (laughs) It's a lot. It's unpredictable. And you have to be okay with that. What can you control? For instance, costs, uh, your startup costs. What's it cost to actually get started, uh, to register with the Secretary of State, to form an LLC? What does it take to get off the ground? Well, okay. First of all, I'm not giving legal advice. (laughs) I want to make that perfectly clear. But if you want to register with the LLC that you have to figure out the way you want to set up the business, you can file as a sole proprietor. I think that's 65 bucks for two years. Um, You can file as an LLC. That's a hundred bucks. And then, you know, there's C Corp and there's S Corp. There's a lot of other ways to file a business. My recommendation there, talk to a lawyer, talk to an accountant, figure out what exactly uh, your goals for the business are, and what's the best way to set up your business to establish it. What, what's uh, that, those initial conversations, what's that going to cost me? 
With a lawyer? You got to talk to a lawyer. You got to talk to an accountant. You yeah. got to do some of those other basic things before you actually have a business. What are we talking? Are we talking hundreds of dollars, thousands? No, probably less than hundreds of dollars. A lot of times a lawyer will talk to you for 10 minutes and not charge anything. If you know what you want to do, you know, if you come to the SBDC or to Mercy Corps or SCORE or some of these other agencies, you will know what questions to ask the lawyer. And it could be a, a pretty quick consultation depending on how complex the business is that you want to set up. Uh, there's also a, a legal clinic through Lewis and Clark Law School. They provide great legal advice to their clients. And I think it's like 25 bucks, maybe 35 bucks. Yeah. So bare minimum, you can go, go on for not very much. Well, that's the first step. And business is all about steps and stages. So stay tuned. In our next segment, we'll cover the challenges of launching a startup and share advice on how to make a successful startup debut. After this short break... You're listening to Biz 503, the podcast for small businesses, startups, and anyone who wants to turn their idea into income. Biz 503 on PRP. Welcome back to Biz 503 on PRP. I'm Hallie Gray of Evolve and Succeed, co-hosting with Mike Rogaway from The Oregonian. Today on Biz 503, the basics of launching a successful business and how to make your startup succeed where others fail. Back with us on the show to talk about the tricky process of launching a business venture, Luna Jaffe, financial planner at Lunaria Financials and owner of Sacred Money Studios, Adam Shearer, principal at WLCR, and Sean Harry, business advisor at the Portland Community College's CBDC. Welcome back, everybody. Hello. (laughs) All right. For this next stage, we're talking about after you've gotten off the ground, how you put things together. Sean, you talked earlier about a mission statement as being your... 21st and a half question. You got to get that mission statement going. You got to, and I, I imagine you got to put a business plan together. Talk to me about those steps. Well, I don't think most people need a business plan, quite frankly. Um, most people need to have a plan, uh, but it's like that famous philosopher, Mike Tyson, used to say <laughs> everybody has a plan until I punch him in the face. The problem with business plans <laughs> is that a lot of people write this business plan. Nobody likes to write them, nobody reads them. Right. And so they sit on the shelf and they don't get updated. And the reality is, as soon as you come into contact, face to face contact with a customer, everything changes and you'll need to pivot. You'll need to make some adjustments. You'll need to figure out, you know, what do I need to do exactly? (laughs) And the business plan goes out the window. Now, if you are going to open a pie shop or you need brick and mortar space for a store or restaurant, that kind of thing, or you need to buy a big piece of equipment, then you're going to have to have a business plan because you're going to have to go to somebody unless you got really deep pockets yourself, right? You're going to have to go to somebody who has some money to get some capital. Then you need a business plan, a full-on business plan. So it sounds like it's dependent on the sort of business you want to open. And Adam, did you have to use an, a business plan for your particular type of business? Or? No, I'm I'm planless. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm living proof that you don't have to uh, do any planning to start but that only works for certain types of people. Fast and loose works for me. Um, <laughs> it doesn't work for everyone. I think a business plan really comes into play, uh, you know, like we're saying, when you need financing. And that's really the difference between needing one and not needing one. I think as, if your plan is to spend time and you carve out professional focused time to work on your business, that can be your whole plan to begin with. Oh, that sounds amazing. And I think we've talked about earlier with Luna about a budget. So I'd love to hear a bit more about if you don't need a business plan, do you need a budget? What do you think, Luna? Yes. So I'm in agreement with these guys about you don't necessarily need a business plan, but you do need to think about what the different pieces that a business plan would have you think through. And one of them is budget and cash flow is a projection of 
what do I think it's going to cost me, which is always wrong, but at least it helps you think. And what do I think um, is my revenue going to come from the different sources that my revenue might come from and how am I going to develop those? So budgeting is a flexible process where you say, I have X amount of capital because most people actually go into small businesses thinking they don't need startup capital unless they're doing retail space. And yet everybody who's starting a business needs something because if they have to pay for that attorney or that a CPA or some advice somewhere, they need to start by putting some investment into their company and saying, here's my $5,000 of capital to start with and recognize that they're not going to be paying themselves for a while. They're going to have to get things rolling. How are they going to do that? And what, how do they actually get to the point where they can look at where am I being very conscientious about how I spend my money? So many people spend way too much money on way too many things that they don't need at the beginning because they haven't proven their, uh, the reliability of their product yet or their service. So I have this concept called creating proof. You need to actually create proof that somebody will buy your thing, your product, your service, your salsa, whatever it is. And if you, if you create that by face-to-face types of interactions that don't cost you anything, will you buy my salsa? You know, that's a, that's easy. It doesn't cost anything. Mm -hmm. I don't need to build a very complex website right away. I need to first know, do I have the brand right? Do I have the product right? Then and only then, as you start to get some revenue, then you start to develop things more. But so many people go in and they're like, I'm going to need all this $20,000 worth of, you know, print marketing and advertising and websites. And I'm like, no, actually, you need to know that people are going to buy what you have. I got to buy a cool desk so everyone <laughs> thinks I'm a real professional. Right? <laughs> when we talk about budget, we talk about two kinds of budgets when you're starting up. They're the startup cost. You know, how much is it going to cost you to open the doors? And then there's the operational budget. So you want to really develop two budgets. One is, what are the startup costs I need? What is it going to cost me to run this business in the mm-hmm. first year? And Adam? If I, if I could pipe in on that, I, I would agree with uh, Luna on that in terms of how you approach your business with lean innovation. I spend probably 75% of my time teaching clients who have unlimited financial resources, global brands, spend the least amount of money humanly possible and set limits for themselves so that they can innovate because innovation comes with limits. I mean, it comes from having limits. That's how you innovate. And when you throw all your money at it or create a ton of debt, you're not only blocking yourself from innovation, but you're hurting yourself financially in the long term. That's a really interesting point. That's if you beautiful. don't have some structure around what you're doing, you you have no direction. Absolutely. That's brilliant. Yeah. And it's true. Yeah. Same. Yeah. It goes back to my kid metaphor. You give them a container, they feel safer, they work better, they grow yeah. better. Yeah. Same is true with your business. Okay. So things start rolling and... and one way or another, you're spending money or you have money coming in. How do you start setting up some financial controls, bookkeeping, something to track what you're doing? Well, ideally you do that right away. So bookkeeping is often thought about um, when tax time rolls around instead of thought about at the beginning. So at the very beginning of a business, if you set up a chart of accounts and get someone who really understands bookkeeping to help you with that, I don't think people need bookkeepers at the beginning. I think they actually are better off learning the very simple basics of bookkeeping, but have somebody professional set it up. And you start to understand, oh, that is comes into my PL and that goes into my balance sheet. But that took me a long time to understand because nobody ever actually showed me how those two things interact with each other. And when I learned it and started inputting the numbers myself, I had more ownership of where my spending was. And that helped me to be a better money manager. So doing that right away is so critical and starting to see, ooh, I can't really afford to keep spending, you know, $150 on that thing that I'm not really using, how do I back off and make sure that that's in alignment? So some things getting in place right away, super helpful and not going to bite you in the butt a year later when you're like, Ooh, I didn't know about Mm -hmm. that tax. I didn't know about that 
filing requirement. Um, having a schedule of actual dates for th when things are due to the state, to the county, to the city, to the IRS is super helpful. So just some things like that structures will make people better at tracking data that actually becomes very, very significant later on. And I know you're going to ask, how much does that cost to get somebody yeah. to help you? <laughs> or, where, or where do you find that person who can set it up for you? Yeah, well, the cost is inexpensive. Let me address the cost issue first, because the cost is very inexpensive, especially when you look at the alternative, right? So I had a client who will remain nameless, who, <laughs> who uh, sells parts, and this was just really a hobby at first. He sells parts for vehicles. Right. And so it really makes the vehicles go faster, that kind of thing. And so he had a day job. He was dumping all the money back into buying parts. What he found out at the end of his first year, or maybe second year, was the IRS sent him a bill for like $30,000 because he had not worked with an accountant to set up things on the front end. Right. So the first thing we did is we got him to an accountant who helped him lower that. But the reality is that he could have not had to spend any of that money to the IRS if he'd have spent a little bit more money in the front. Now, it probably cost him a thousand bucks at that point or so to get his books in order. But compare that to the $30,000 bill that he got from the IRS, which one would you rather buy? You know, as far as that goes, it's inexpensive to find a bookkeeper or an accountant to help you set it up. Now, where do you find them? Um, I always encourage people the best place to find it is to ask somebody else who's in the business, a similar business that you're in, somebody else who owns a restaurant, a coffee shop, that kind of thing, if you're going to open a pie shop. Ask them who they use and who they like and get a referral from somebody who knows somebody in the business. Excellent. Can I add one more thing to yes. that? Because I totally agree. You want to ask people, but you also want to interview people. Do not take the first person that comes to you and say, you must be great because you work well with Sean. You want to say, tell me how you practice, how you work, will work with me. I'm new to business. Will you help me learn? And I always tell people to do a gut check because you want to check in and see like, do I feel like this person will listen to me? Are they going to help me? Or are they condescending and making me feel stupid already? Because frankly, that happens a lot with professionals. And so what I always say to people is you want to go and talk to, a, when you talk to person number one, you're going to learn something. You take what you learned from them and you ask person number two, and then you learn from them and you t ask the next questions to the next person. Suddenly you have grown and you are now better at making a choice. And the prices between these professionals, bookkeepers, CPAs, um, attorneys will vary so widely. You'll find bookkeepers for 20 bucks an hour and bookkeepers for 80. And you might think I can't afford that $80 one, but they might work five times as fast and know what they're doing so much better and teach you so much better that you're saving yourself just a bundle of time and energy and money later on. So it's educating yourself and learning and knowing that you don't know. And so you need to start reaching out. For my clients, I find that choosing someone and considering the hourly wage is sometimes foolish, and it's more important to focus on the value of the service that you're getting with disregard to how much time that person puts into delivering that value. Mm -hmm. If you agree on it and you have indicators of when you've been successful, that you will have a better outcome. So end result over initial investment. And that's so true because I think you can pay anybody. You well, know. they can be the same investment. It could yeah. take somebody $20 an hour you know, 100 hours to do it and somebody yeah. $80 an hour, 40 hours to do it. Right, exactly. So it's not about price point. It's rather about what they're going to deliver to you at the end because you can pay anybody to work for a certain number of hours, but not necessarily get anything back from that, which exactly. is so true. I'm so glad you're talking about budgeting and financials because I feel like this is something a lot of people don't talk about when it comes to their businesses. But let's talk a little bit about what to expect from different like business models and like how to choose one because that's something people don't think about. 
and business model is thrown around a lot, but you know, how do you define it? What are the different types you see? Well, there, there are a lot of different kinds of business models and, and, um, that's really a challenging question to answer quite frankly, is what's the best business model. The best business model is the one that works for you and your customers. Um, where I have people start when they, when they come to us and they say, I need to develop a business model. I say, who are your customers? Right. You've got to understand who your customers are and what their needs are. What are the gains that they're trying to find? What are the pains that they have? Right. And so people tell me, hey, do you want to buy this drill? I go, no, I don't want to buy a drill. Oh, you want a hole? No, I don't want a hole, but I do want to hang pictures of my grandchildren. You mm-hmm. help me figure that out. OK. And maybe that's the business model is not selling a drill, but help hanging pictures of my grandkids. So how do you define a business model, Sean? Because you see a lot of people come through. And just what's the basic definition that comes into your head when it, somebody asks about that? About maybe, what a business model is. So a business yeah. model is basically answers the question of who are my customers? What are their needs? How am I going to provide a product or service that fill those needs? And then the big question is, how am I going to get paid doing that? Right? So how am I going to make money? Am I going to sell a product? Am I going to sell a service? What am I going to sell to my customers that will meet their needs, right? That will allow me to get paid. So I'll give you an example because my business model is very complicated and everybody who comes into it goes, wow. So Sacred Money Studios' uh, main mission is to provide financial education across the board to all people. That's the mission. But the business model is a membership-driven structure for the studio. It's the revenue from the pie shop. It's the retail space and it's an art gallery. (laughs) You know, one of my business advisors said, you have a complex business model, therefore you have complex answers to the questions that you're posing. And that was helpful because sometimes I was like, I want this to be simpler, but it wasn't simple because I didn't set it up to be simple. I have a, a pretty, you know, it's a complex idea and that's okay with me. You know, I'm fine with it. It just helped me to have more realism around it. So some people think, oh, I want to have this residual income stream. I want to do direct service. I want to train people. There's all those pieces. And it, sometimes there's a lack of clarity about what's unifying it and how am I going to take those things and make sure that this thing is feeding the next thing is feeding the next thing. And so for you, it's the mission that it's brings the mission. them all together. Adam, I'm curious, the, the way you described your business formation process earlier, the, the string of LLCs, it sounds like it's more organic for you. Yeah. I mean, I would drive the importance of learning, validating, and then iterating in terms of figuring out what you are as a business. I mean, I don't have any formal education in business other than just trial and error. But for me, it's, you know, it's kind of what Sean said, where you you go out and you figure out who your audience is and kind of what Luna said, you know, hit them all, set up a pop-up shop and try and sell a few things and see what people are into. Offer three or four different pricing structures, be it a, you know, subscription model or a bulk model or an individual model. See what people gravitate towards, you know, validate that by repeating it another time and then take that and iterate it into what the business is. For me, it's been opening and closing businesses to basically to suit, you know, my needs and my lifestyle that I'm hoping to support. And it's funny how I go from that to now helping people that literally wear suits <laughs> to work, figure out how to do that for themselves. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, you know, from all three of you. So as the business gets rolling and things are going all right, we talked about the initial steps, who you might talk to as far as an accountant, uh, a lawyer, just to get things set up. We talked about bookkeeping. When do you decide, hey, I might need to hire somebody else, somebody else to bring on? And what sort of things do you need to consider as you get to that point, both in terms of choosing that person and what it's like to employ somebody and what sort of requirements are involved? I hired someone else when the IRS agent who was going line by line through the 13 months of 2006 
told me that I probably wasn't capable of handling my own books. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good start. I would say part of that question is really looking at, um, there's two things I think to your question. One is, when do you ask for help? And that help could be business help. And that also could be employee help. If I could do it over again, I would ask for business help first. I would go to those advisors at PCC and PSU and go to the programs that are offering free mentorship and get their advice first before I jump into, ooh, I need an employee. Um, Because I didn't know often how to define what that role was. So I didn't even know how to write a job description uh, or that that was helpful. But when you do write a job description, you actually know how to manage somebody. And if you don't have that, there's nothing to say you're not really doing your job because they're like, well, but you never told me that was my job. And as an entrepreneur, a small business owner, you're so used to wearing so many hats that you expect the other person to wear just as many hats. So now my business partner at Sacred Money Studios is an HR professional, which has been an amazing education. And she's like, you can't do that. I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. Um, huh. you know, I didn't know what questions you couldn't ask in an interview. I didn't know um, some of the things that I needed to set up as parameters around hiring and the, the rules around contractors and W-2 employees. And so you learn what you don't know, but you better learn it first rather than making the mistake of hiring somebody as a contractor who really is a W-2 employee and then you get fined for it. So that's why that business advisor is incredible, incredibly helpful. <laughs> so. Yeah. We, I have a saying that you should do the things that you do best and then hire out the rest. You know, get somebody who, if you're not good at bookkeeping, yes, you have to understand how to do bookkeeping. You probably should do your books early on, especially when the numbers are smaller and the mistakes are smaller, right? But as soon as possible, you need to hire somebody to do that if you are not good at bookkeeping or marketing or building a web page or, you know, all of these other things that you have to do. So for Adam, uh, if you're doing a lean startup where cash is limited. How do you figure out what to hire out, what to just figure out yourself? How did you do that? That's really interesting. So I taught myself how to build websites in the back of a van, jumping on opportunities while I was traveling around the country playing music. I started basically building event websites for music venues and still build and manage around 50 across the United States today. I taught myself using Google tutorials. I had no money. What I needed was some money for rent. And so it was all about, hey, can I make $350 this month? Portland's changed a lot in the last 16 years, (laughs) but, uh, you know, that's what it was about for me. I mean, I think that what everybody's implying is that you should know your business to the extent possible and you should be intimately familiar with it. The biggest business misstep I've ever made is having people do work and saying we specialize in this and it being beyond my understanding, because when those people move on, you're left holding the bag and you're accountable for it. And I mean, it's very expensive to dig yourself out of a nebulous like that. But I I think the most important part is that, you know, you understand what you're asking someone to do before you ask them to do it. And you write it down. Yeah. (laughs) I would say that you also can do a cost benefit analysis. If you're thinking at that point of hiring somebody, you know, what is it that is going to cost you for this employee? And that's not just the salary. That's also any benefits or taxes that you have to pay or anything else, right? Everything else. And then what is the benefit that I expect them to bring? And you can hold those two numbers up. And when the number uh, between the two is positive, you know, towards the benefit side, then you can start thinking about hiring somebody, creating a job description, you know, understanding what it is exactly that you want them to do. I also started with an intern. Uh, That was actually the best move I've ever done is went to PSU and Merrill Hurst and wrote a job description of an intern I needed. I didn't have to pay them because it was an academic mentorship. So 
Uh, that allowed me to get a marketing person or somebody did PR. It allowed me to see what I could use, how much energy it took to navigate that. And then I decided to hire them after that. So that gave me a chance to actually know somebody well enough and know that I had a role that really could be filled and then uh, hired them from there. So that is a lean way to start into the world of having an employee. Quickly before the break, I have one question about the internship process, you know, hiring an intern. I worry even with an employee, but especially with an intern who doesn't have a lot of experience, how do you avoid picking somebody who isn't going to make work for you managing them? Yeah, that's a good question. I haven't and been it's, able to avoid it. Yeah, I mean, and it is sometimes it does make work for you, but it also helps you define what you're looking for. And so you interview them well, you learn to interview. Um, I was always looking for somebody who knew more than I did about the topic. So there are people in the master's programs, at uh, the MBAs at PSU, for example, who have accounting expertise. They have different levels of expertise and you can go to them and they're looking for experience. And I was looking for advice and Sometimes there's a really good pairing there. But I gather, Adam, it hasn't gone as well for you. Well, I mean, I've, I've tried and it's been different. It's primarily turns into me training them how to do something. And because I was extremely lean and had no money and my investment was all in my sacrificing my own personal comfort, it became impossible. And I tried several times and it didn't quite work. Also, I would have been extremely intimidated going to a master's class and asking someone working on a master's in business or any other thing to do with numbers and money to help me as an artist figure out how to do this. No matter what phase of business you're in, there are always bumps in the road. Stay tuned, what to do when you hit a setback and how to rescue a business in danger of failing when we come back. Are you ready to turn your idea into cash or are you already launched and hitting roadblocks? Join PRP each Friday at 1 p.m. for Biz 503 the talk show for startups and small businesses. Welcome back. I'm Mike Rogaway, co-hosting with Hallie Gray on Biz 503. Today, we're covering what makes a successful business tick and how you can build a startup destined for profit. In this segment, we're going to look at best practices, common mistakes, and how to handle the big challenges of business building. Back with us in the studio, we have Luna Jaffe, financial planner at Lunaria Financial and owner of Sacred Money Studios, Sean Harry, business advisor and instructor at Portland Community College's Small Business Development Center, and Harry Shearer, principal and creative director at... Of the Simpsons. Oh, I knew, Adam, I knew when Harry I saw Shure. your last name and when you were doing radio, I knew that was going to happen. I Adam, did a show with Harry Shearer once. Shure. He doesn't think that's funny. Adam Shearer with WLCR. We'll have to ask about your interaction with Harry yeah. a little bit later. It was complicated. Um, Team Harry. <laughs> uh, we are talking about, um, you know, things that, things that can put you off course as you get started and starting a business. Give me some ideas, broad sweep, guys. What are some main reasons things go wrong? I mean, for me, I, I feel like the main thing that can go wrong is focusing more on achieving something you set out to focus on instead of learning. So make assumptions, make plans based on assumptions, make moves based on assumptions. And when those assumptions are proven right or wrong, adjust. Don't find yourself uh, rigid and unable to change your strategy mid-course because just like Harry said earlier, you know, every customer you meet is going to change the game. Yeah, it's so true. And uh, I think the one thing that really bites people in the butt in terms of running businesses is not having any savings to navigate the unexpected either expenses in the business or your own, say, disability or illness or the needs of a child or a parent that pulls you away from your business income, being able to provide an income stream. So often people don't even realize that, oh, I do need savings. I do need reserves and I do need to create regularity about how I um, pay myself so that if there is something a downturn in the market, 
Um, a lot of businesses were impacted, for example, by the snowpocalypse in January. And, you know, when I looked at my own business, I thought, oh, we're doing pretty well because the the whole area was closed, but people still came to the pie shop. Pie but when I looked at, <laughs> but when I looked at the numbers, it was we were down by five thousand dollars that month um, overall because overall people couldn't get there, and that is something you have to think about and plan for and expect. You have to expect it as a small business owner rather than go, oh my god, I'm so surprised. Yeah, being an entrepreneur is really about finding opportunity and figuring out how to solve problems. I mean, it really is. It goes back to. What I said earlier about having a plan and then understanding that that plan is going to change on a dime. But you have to have some core, right? But then you also have to be able to meet the market needs, which is uh, one of the reasons why I love small business, right? Because big companies, it takes them a long time to identify a need and to turn. Small businesses are very nimble and they can turn very quickly. And so once you get started, you may, you know, depending on what your customers need, you may have to pivot one or two or three or five times, right? So I have a client who came out of design school. And so she was an interior designer and she had an idea that she was going to create spaces in uh, senior centers, right? And, and do the design work there. Well, it turned out there was no market for that. She couldn't, she couldn't get <laughs> oh, any no. traction, right? And then so she turned to something else and then she turned to something else. And finally she has found, and about after about a year and a half of sort of plugging through, she has found her space and what she's doing now is designing uh, window displays for small businesses, for, you know, shops, that kind of thing. And she's loving it and her customers are loving it, but it does not look exactly like what she started out to do. She had to learn from her customers, as Harry Shear says over here. <laughs> <laughs> she had to learn from her customers what it was that they needed, right? And then to provide that to them. And small businesses are so nimble, they can do that. Totally. And the thing is, I'm going to be a bit of a downer here, guys, because I feel like when you're starting a business, you should actually know what your exit plan is. Otherwise, Absolutely. you hold on way too long and sink to the bottom of the business ocean. So Absolutely. how do you tell people, hey, it's time to let go and walk away? Or how do they plan for that? Because usually you would want to sell it, right? Because that'd be awesome. But what are those different things they should be accounting for and how can they read the signs on the wall? Um, Luna, do you want to start with us? Well, sort of. I'll start with that, but I don't have an exit plan. Um, <laughs> I, I, not with the pie shop, but I do with my Lunaria Financial. So for me, I don't, I don't want to be a financial planner until I'm 80. Um, I do feel like there's a place in which I want to start mentoring another person and bring that process to transition. It's a hard process in my world because I'm a single shop uh, financial planner. I have one employee and I think about it all the time and I've been looking and looking. And so Part of it's looking for the right person with the right fit who's a good 20 years younger than I am, who can uh, has the skill set and has the engagement or the, um, the affinity for the type of clients I have, which is quite unusual. I mean, I really attract a lot of creatives. My whole world is working with creatives and women in particular, and, um, and it's financial planning with a whole creative twist. And so I need to find somebody that can walk into that and learn that. And it's, it's a process. With so, the pie shop, on the other hand, yeah, um, I don't even think that I want to get there. To sell it. <laughs> and that's fair enough. I feel like that's normal for business. Yeah. Adam, what have I, you found? Well, I've been on both sides of that. So I have not exited in time. <laughs> yeah. I started a company called The C-Doc with a friend of mine, and we, we sold iPhone charging stations, and we had a utility patent for... Um, sliding a smartphone inside of a completely enclosed charger. Mm -hmm. um, we were Kickstarter funded. We made a lot of money on Shopify. We got a million dollar PO from Apple. Um, we had offers from various people to buy, including Crosley and some other VC firms out of Utah. And the iPhone 5 came out. 
Huh. Oh, no. And that was the end of the business. <laughs> no. they, they changed the PO to say it has to work with the 10-pin charger. And that it has to work with the 20 most popular cases, which completely defeated the reason why this was cool. It was a mid-century alarm clock. Cool. And uh, the business plan immediately became the best way to upcycle your old smartphone. <laughs> we sold through all the stock, shuttered the business, and that was that. Whoa. More recently, the reason why my company is Wineland Creative LLC, but it's now called WLCR, is a couple of years ago, my CPA advised, as we're a small team of six, and we are dethroning and winning bids from giant global corporations with literally thousands of employees. And he said, Wineland is a family name. He said, get that name out because at some point somebody might want to buy you mm -hmm. and change it to something that you can let go of. And that's why we changed it to WLCR, even though that stands for half of the word Wineland yeah. and half of the word creative, not four <laughs> words. That's why we did it. That's so smart. That's so, so exit smart. plan. Yeah. I'm not planning on getting out, but... I could be convinced. Just in case. Just in case. Yeah. yeah. The other part of exit plan is that you do want to look at your corporate entity structure. If you're going to, if you do want to sell your company, you do want to be an S corp or a C corp in general. Um, I mean, that's one of the things that I've been advised about. So for my financial planning firm, I am an S corp. There's a reason behind that. The other business is an LLC because we're three people owners and I don't really expect to sell it. We encourage people to think about what they want from the business when they get started, but we also say, how are you going to end this business? So that they get that in their mind from the very beginning. And uh, the reason we do that is there are some some legal reasons as well, um, but the reason we do that is because it, it helps them understand what kind of business they're going to build, right? Are we going to have employees? Are we going to outsource things? What, what are we going to do? Are we going to build things? We're going to buy things. And so... Figuring out what they want to do at the end of the business helps them at the beginning of the business and to set up their business. I wanted to ask something that, that we didn't get to in the last segment, which is about how you market your product. When you've got it started, when you feel you do have a market, how do you go about expanding that? Oh, I was looking at you because I assumed you're the expert. I have no idea. I'm not the expert. I actually entirely market my business through word of mouth and personal referrals. I've learned that, especially in financial planning, it doesn't work to do print advertising. I have a great website that really does have a lot of personality. That helps. People do go to that. They do find it through Google. But the studio, we haven't had the money to do any marketing. And so we entirely do it by being a presence in the community, donating the space to a lot of community groups, allowing groups like Pantsuit Nation and Indivisible, groups like that to come in um, and use the space. And they end up being the best ambassadors for the business that we could find. So uh, I think we're going to address this next week, right, <laughs> on the marketing. And I'll be back uh, then. But marketing really depends upon, goes back to the very first thing, who is your customer? What are their needs, right? Where do they hang out? So I get a lot of people who come to me. I teach a class in marketing, how to, how to design a marketing plan for your small business. People come and they say, do I need to be on Facebook? Do I need to be on the Twitter? Do I need to whatever, you know? <laughs> first of all, if you call it the Twitter, you probably don't. But, <laughs> but you know, the, 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 the answer to that question is where are your customers hanging out? What do they need, right? And what's the best way to help to reach out to them, to let them know that you understand what their needs are? Because people don't really care about you. <laughs> they don't care about your product until they understand that you care about them, right? So the first thing to do in the marketing plan is we identify who that customer persona is, create an actual persona. You know, this is uh, Jim, the uh, business builder, right? And what does that person need? And then we design marketing pieces around that 
and we get them out into places where that person is. If they're on Facebook, yes. If they need skywritten, <laughs> you know. But uh, as Luna was saying, word of mouth, particularly in this town, word of mouth for most small businesses in particular is the most effective uh, form of marketing. And as you're doing that marketing or not doing it, as the case may be, how are you measuring success? How do you know that the business is going the way you intended? Are you setting up milestones at the beginning? Are you just looking at your bookkeeping and saying, hey, the money's coming in, it's working? Well, people do all of those things. <laughs> uh, my suggestion is that you do. You set up some benchmarks at the beginning and you can look at what other successful companies that are in your area are doing, right? And what are the kinds of benchmarks that they have? Certainly there are financial benchmarks, but there are other non-financial benchmarks as well. For instance, if one of your marketing strategies is to get as many people on social media to follow you so that at some point in the future, you can sell them things, right, which we have people that do, then one of your benchmarks is how many people are following you on Instagram or whatever the social media is. So yeah, you set the benchmarks up ahead of time, understanding that those benchmarks are probably wrong in the same way that uh, Luna says that your financials are probably wrong, but you're taking your best strategic guess and you put the benchmarks there and see where it goes from there. Another swing on that that I'm familiar with, you know, in, in the fact that I primarily work with businesses that sell product online is rather than having benchmarks, um, and it, these terms may actually be synonymous for some people, the way I'm thinking about them, they're slightly different. You know, you have a series of key performance indicators and a way of tracking those things and you just look at how they change as you adjust as a business, as you adjust with your marketing. Um, we generally try and teach our clients change one or two things at a time so you can actually create a correlation between, you know, this change created this effect in your key performance indicators. As things go down, if you don't want them to, change them. If they go up and you want them to keep going up, continue in that direction. Luna, how are you measuring whether things are, are going well or not? Quite honestly, I'm too tired to measure anything. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, there's truth to that. I'm also um, in the middle of doing B Corp certification to become a benefit company. We're a registered benefit company, but we're becoming certified. And one of the things I've learned from that process is how important it is to track all kinds of indicators. So it's not just the how well is my business doing, because I'm not doing direct marketing or I'm not doing those types of things. But... Uh, there's a real correlation in my business between how much live music we have, for example, in our space and how well we do. So for me... Um, Is well, that right? Oh, yeah. Because you bring in live music and people buy more alcohol and people bring in their own audiences. So things work really beautifully when we have that. So we ended up putting money instead of into marketing out on the web, we put money into having somebody in the studio that actually is constantly vetting uh, musicians and doing poetry readings or whatever we're trying to bring in, as well as just being a source, a person, a contact point, rather than our baristas expected to try to be able to present the business. And that has been our, really, that's been our marketing dollars. And so we can track, uh, you know, her employment has been directly responsible for X amount of people coming into the space and increasing our sales. So, but I'm going to get better idea. about tracking other details that are more <laughs> relevant so that's interesting. So you would have never known that more live music was going to benefit your business without actually tracking it. So that's a metric that maybe most people would overlook, but you've been looking at those numbers and it's been showing a direct correlation. Oh, yeah. That's so cool. How about you, Adam? What's your favorite metric to track? <laughs> well, well my, my favorite metric to track is net revenue. I was going to say revenue. Um, <laughs> revenue. You know, I mean, generally <laughs> our business is really cyclical and it's also up and down. Well, you know, we have six figure months and then we have months that seem barren and we predict it, but it's impossible to track. So 
generally, we decide whether or not we're doing a good job based on a referral stream, um, how many people contact us a day asking for work, and then the average value of those contracts, not just in what we land, but in what we bid. We want to chase a lot of people away so that we have time to focus in on projects that we can be passionate about. So it's more about what are the quality of the leads that are coming through? How frequent are they coming? Where are they coming from? And that's generally how we track. I mean, we have reviews and stars and all those kinds of things as well. But what's really important to us is, are we growing? Are we healthy? Are we relevant? Mm. That's really Beautiful. interesting. It sounds like people may come up with some some really original metrics, really original things that are specific for their business. Well, yeah. and they should. They, they absolutely should. Um, you know, uh, one of the things that we tell people is one of the metrics you really want to look at is return customers, right? Because the most expensive customer you'll ever have is the first customer, the one who is buying for the first time. The ones who come back, uh, it costs you a lot less to go find them. But, you know, I also have, I have an acupuncturist who's a client, right? And so one of the metrics that she tracks is how many visits does a patient have to come see me before they are cured of their illness or their pain or whatever, that kind of thing. She does that not so much for a revenue point of view, but she does that from a marketing standpoint. So when people say, well, you know, I have this pain in my back. Well, on average, people are seeing me four or five times before that pain goes away, you know, compare that to whatever else they're shopping for, yeah. right? Whatever other solution, you know, that's a pretty good metric. So mm -hmm. that works for her. Which makes sense, really, because all of these are just contributing to how much money you make, right? Because the more leads you get. Yeah. The and your quality of life, too. I mean, how yeah. hard you have to work to make that money. It doesn't matter if you make millions of dollars if you can't spend any time enjoying it. Totally. So do you usually track that? How many hours you work a week or? Are they going to say how many millions of dollars? <laughs> I, I, track that. I can actually, I do can. Do you have a CPA, Adam? No, I'm worried. I, I, do, I do, yeah. I have a, uh, I have a, a joy quotient. I can tell if I'm enjoying myself or not. And that's generally how I track. But I have been on the run since uh, 2006. It's been a long time. I've lost track of some of it. I track everybody who works for me. We're an S Corp and I track everyone on payroll and you know, I generally am aware and provide feedback based on, you know, here, here are the issues. Like we're not billing them anymore, but you're still billing me. And so here's what we have to change to figure it out. But quick question. How yeah. do you track joy? Cause I feel like for a new business owner, that might be like the metric to watch. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I would honestly, my school of thought for becoming a new business owner is that you should only do something you enjoy doing. It can be different things. Mm -hmm. It can be something you're passionate about creating or providing, or it can be that you're passionate about business. And then you should focus on finding a product that fits your needs as a business person and what kind of return you want to get. But really, it's about finding something you enjoy so that it doesn't suck while you build that business, because it's sure going to be hard. At least make sure that you enjoy it. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So true. I so echo that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't even count the amount of hours I put into Sacred Money Studios. It's not for the money, clearly. It's because it's my passion. Yeah. So that's what makes it all worthwhile. Yeah, well, I don't know how you track joy. <laughs> but when people, when clients come into uh, to see me, I know if they're having joy, if the business that they are building is providing for them both wealth and joy, because when it is, they can talk about, oh, my God, I had to I put in 70 hours last week and, and they're so excited about it. And yeah. I wish I had more time and, and I can't wait to get out of bed. You know, that kind of stuff. They got the juice, right? They got the juice around this business. But sometimes they come in and they're like, uh, 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 <laughs> well, would just, you <laughs> one thing would just happen. Everything would change. Exactly. Exactly. And that's not it. <laughs> well, on, on that note, that makes me wonder something. So in all these cases, we're talking about the person who starts 
the business and runs the business. But at what point do you take a step back and say, I started this business, but I really shouldn't be running it anymore. Somebody else should. When you become the business owner. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's an actual thing. You know, the difference between being the boss and being the owner, it's a a different revenue model entirely for how things work. Um, Mm -hmm. I'll let you know as soon as I figure that out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm really right there with Sacred Money Studios. I'll say that because I started really as the visionary behind the business. And that's my sweet spot. That's where I'm really most passionate and good at. And what I find I'm not good at is managing baristas, for example. So part of my transition has been how do I find a manager that's strong enough to hold the leadership of that barista team so that I can let go of it? And I haven't found that person yet, to be honest. And so that's really a challenge is to find somebody that is trustworthy and predictable and has the skills that you need and can communicate with you and isn't trying to take over, is trying to support you, has your back. That's been such a journey. And so that's the hard part about being a business owner is how do you let go? And you can only let go if somebody has the skill set you need and is trustworthy and loyal. And there's a lot of transience in the world of employment these days, and people have less of that loyalty. Luna, you described finding the right person, but I imagine to a degree it's finding it in yourself to say, okay, you know, I'm ready to step back and I'm ready to say, I'm going to trust this person's judgment. Absolutely. It's both. It's both. You know, too often we do see that the business owner is the bottleneck, right? And they got to step out of the way and let somebody else do some of these things. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's the time we have for us today. We want to thank everyone for being with us. Luna Jaffe from Sacred Money Studios, Adam Shearer from WLCR. And Sean Harry from Portland Community College's Small Business Development Center. Next week on Biz 503, we'll get into the juicy subject of marketing and share advice and tips for crafting a savvy marketing plan. Thanks for joining us today for Biz 503 on PRP. Have a great weekend. Support for Biz 503 comes from Imix Law Group, offering trusted legal advice to startups and small businesses. Imix for business advice.